tell you that I'm a redneck, that I'm, uh, I'm a hillbilly. I've just been told this morning I'll accept that title. That's fine. We, but we are brothers and sisters in the Lord here, and it's been such a blessing over these last days to uh, just meet more of you. It's been a wonderful privilege over these last number of years that Anne and I have headed up multi-ministries just to get to know some of the folk who've been involved in Swaziland with multi-ministries over many years, to get to know your pastor Cody, who's been with us in outreaches in rural parts of South Africa, to share the gospel there, to get to know some of those real rednecks on that side of the big pond, and, uh, but it's really, really great. This morning, uh, thank you for the privilege of sharing God's word with you. And so we are going to do that. And I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Mark. The book of Mark and um, the eighth chapter. Eighth chapter of the book of Mark. And I want to share with you from verse 27 on to the end of that chapter there. And I want to, I trust this morning that God's word will come and, and just burn in our hearts. And just as you find that, I want to just come and ask you to pray with me as we ask God the Holy Spirit to come and illumine our hearts and mind to the word of God. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for every opportunity we have to share together in the word of God. Lord, we are conscious of these words that, that, that have just been told to us and taught to us, and that we know is truth, that God can only be known insofar as he chooses to graciously make himself known to us. We pray this morning that you would use your word in our hearts. Come, Holy Spirit, and give us insight today. Bless this time together in Jesus' name. Amen. A little later on when we have some fellowship, Annie's going to be up and she's going to go through a, a, uh, a slide presentation just telling you a little more about the work of multi-ministries. Multi-ministries is a multiplicity of ministries, many things that are taking place, and we praise God for every opportunity that he gives us. But let's have a look at the word of God. Won't you stand with me as we read God's word? Mark chapter 8 and verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? They answered, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am. Peter answered, you are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Verse 31, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. He then called the crowds to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, 
he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And he said to them, I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. Praise God for his precious, precious word. You may be seated. Thank you. In God's word, we read in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, that the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. I want you to note that verse this morning, that part of Scripture this morning. The disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And I want to come this morning as we look at this passage of God's Word. Keep your Bible open there. And I want us to unpack it a little and see and ask the question again this morning. Jesus said to his disciples, who do you say that I am? And I want to ask the question of the church this morning as we gather, and I need to ask myself again and again at various stages in my life and in my Christian walk. And it is this question, simply this, what is a Christian? What is a Christian? And as we look at this passage of Scripture, I want to reiterate again something that your pastor probably has told you a thousand times, and it is this, that the building is not the church. These premises that you have here, praise God for wonderful facilities, but this is not the church. The church of Jesus Christ is not an institution. The church of Jesus Christ is, is, is not named a kind of building or some kind of other edifice. The church of Jesus Christ is the called out ones, are the called out ones, those who have been called to himself, the people of God, the church Ironside Baptist Church meets in these buildings. We together, individually and corporately, make up the church of Jesus Christ here in, in this part of God's, God's vineyard. So when we ask the question, how effective is the church in preaching? How effective is the church in reaching its community? How effective is the church in going and doing what Jesus said we must do? We've got to come back and take note of this claim and recognize that the church, how are we doing in reaching this community? How are we doing in doing what Jesus has told us to do? I don't know about you, I guess so in the United States, but certainly where we live in South Africa, we have a cosmopolitan kind of makeup of peoples from every tongue, tribe, and nation. And there's, there's quite a lot of confusion about this thing as to what a Christian is. Because some people will say, well, if, if I'm not Jewish, then I must be a Christian. If I'm not Muslim, then I must be a Christian. 
And there's a lot of confusion about exactly what a real Christian really is. And I want to take this passage of Scripture this morning, and I trust with the help of the Holy Spirit we will see together that what Christians, real Christians really are. And the, the first thing I want to say as we look at this passage is this. That real Christians are people who take Jesus seriously. And when I talk about real Christians, I want to come back to the original term which says disciples. If you are a real Christian, the Bible says you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. And what does that mean? Disciples are people who take Jesus seriously. If we look at verse 35. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for the sake of the gospel will save it. Jesus Christ had a mission to fulfill, and we see that there even in verse 31. Jesus, today is Palm Sunday, and that was a wonderful part of the ministry of Jesus, that triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Jesus, this whole Easter, uh, Easter season that we are entering, we come and celebrate the life and the work of Jesus culminating on that death on the cross and culminating again in the fact of the wonderful, blessed hope we have, the resurrection of Jesus. But Jesus comes and says, if you are going to be my disciples, you need to take what I say really seriously. And as we unpack this portion of God's word, we've got to realize that if we take Jesus seriously, we actually have to face the issues that Jesus raised. And one of the first issues in this passage that Jesus, Jesus raises is this, that it is possible to waste your life. It is possible to waste your life. And as you look at that, you, you, you come and understand that from verses like verse, verse 36. You see, folk, we, we can become so wrapped up in our life, in our things around us, we can get so wrapped up in our stuff. Man, it all goes back in the box. It all goes onto a trash heap, our stuff. But we've got to face the issue that Jesus raises, and it is this, that it is possible to waste our life. We can get wrapped up with friends. We can get wrapped up with relationships. We can get wrapped up in our homes. We can get wrapped up in our careers. And all of those things could be good, but we need to take note of what Jesus is saying, that it is possible to waste our life. Real Christians, disciples, confront that issue. Disciples, a disciple is someone who has decided in his or her heart not to just go with the crowd. And I'm so grateful that there are young people in the congregation this morning. And I want to say to you, young people, you need to take a decisive, specific decision that you are not going to waste your life, that you are going to take the claims that Jesus made seriously. And when those pressures come on you to do what the crowd is doing, you are going to say, no, I choose to believe God. I choose to follow and accept what Jesus says. Man, we can get 
so wrapped up with a little bangle, WWJD, and that's good. What would Jesus do? But take a step back, young people, as you face your life and ask the question, what does Jesus say? If we're going to be a disciple of Christ, don't be swept away with that peer pressure and just going with the crowd. Don't waste your life. Maybe there's even someone here today that has never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and as, as, as your Savior. What are you going to do with the only life that God has given you? Disciples take Jesus seriously. The second issue that Jesus raises in this portion of his word here is this. Not only that it's possible to waste your, your life, but the second issue that Jesus raised, we find when Jesus rebukes Peter. Jesus says to him, get out of my sight, Satan. Wow. And this is the second issue that a disciple must face. Think about this, church. It is possible to do Satan's work. Jesus saying to Peter, you're talking in human terms. You're ignoring God's way. You see, folks, so often when God begins to deal with us, when God begins to stir with us, whether it be a mission weekend, whether it be some kind of challenge in, Bible, in, 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 in your Sunday school class, in your Bible study, in your groups that you meet in, or from the pulpit, so often when we are challenged, we start thinking in human terms. If it doesn't make sense, if it seems illogical, hey man, I was so blessed to meet some of the other guys here these last days, and, and I think of Phil and Brett and Josh and, 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 and uh, Phil and Brett when, when, we were, when you guys were talking. It doesn't make sense to go to Farmington, but God has told you to go, and you've gone, praise God. But when things don't make sense, Instead of doing things God's way, we can so often end up doing things the nice clinical way we think is better. You see, in, in God's word in uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 21, 1 Chronicles 21 and verse 1, there's a verse there that scares the daylights out of me. And it says this, Satan rose up against Israel and incited David. It is possible even for the leaders of God's work to do the work of the enemy. Our criticism, our negative attitude, our critical spirit can all sometimes add up to doing the work of the enemy. Whenever we ignore the claims of God, whenever we act as if God is non-existent, we begin to do Satan's work. And so God's word would challenge us this morning, don't waste your life. Don't do the devil's work. A disciple, a real Christian, is someone who faces issues. And the third issue that Jesus raises here in this portion of his word is this. Real Christians, disciples, 
are not afraid to face the fact that Jesus is coming back again. Because Jesus is coming back again, disciples are not afraid to speak out for him. They're not afraid to share the good news about Christ. I'm amazed. Someone said to me, uh, I'll never forget one of my mentors just saying to me uh, as a young Christian, Steve, your view on eschatology, your view on the second coming of Jesus Christ has got a direct correlation to the way you live a holy life. Because if you are living, this friend of mine, this mentor of mine had a little plaque on his desk in front with two words, perhaps today, perhaps today. And he lived his life like that and it made a difference to the holiness in his life. The difference to the way, the, a difference to the way he, he viewed sin and the, 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 the temptation and possibilities it could raise up. I don't have enough time for that because perhaps today, Jesus says in verse 38, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with his holy angels. Real Christians take Jesus seriously and they face the issues that he, wrote, that, that he raised. The second thing we notice in this portion of God's word is disciples are people who confirm the claims that Jesus made, the claims that he made. Real Christians confirm the claims. What are these claims? Look at verse 27. Jesus asked this question, and I started with this. Who do people say that I am? Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say one of the prophets, but Jesus comes straight out and he says, who do you say that I am? It's amazing when we ask people that question, how often they try and duck the issue. Who is Jesus? We go, we do good street work, evangelism. Who is Jesus? Well, he was a good man. He was a prophet. He was this, he was that. My, my English teacher in high school, who was not a Christian, said to me, you know, it's such a pity that Jesus died at 33, because imagine if he lived a full life, how effective he would have been. Miss the issue. Miss the man. You're really on the wrong track. Jesus in verse seven, uh, 27 says, who do people say that I am? And so I need to ask you church here at Iron City. You've grown up in a Christianized society. Who do you say that Jesus is? And I want to come back to what I said in passing a minute ago. We, it's great when we try to apply that saying, what would Jesus do? But we can only know what Jesus would do if we know what Jesus really is saying. What is Jesus Christ to you? And I need to ask you this morning, do you know him? Do you know him or do you just know about him? In, in our country, in South Africa, and it was good to talk to Brett, uh, 
we, we love soccer. And everybody in our country, if you say, who's the soccer coach, they know who the coach of the soccer team is. And some years ago, we got a, there's a famous soccer coach in South Africa that took our, our, our soccer team to heights they hadn't been before, and his name was Clive Barker. And Anne and I went into a little restaurant one day in the city of Durban, and we were sitting down in a little coffee shop having a cup of coffee, and lo and behold, Clive Barker came and sat down in the table next to me. And as he sat next to me, I was, you know, drinking coffee, eating some cake, I guess, or whatever it was, and I looked over and I saw, hey, Clive, how are you? And he smiled and nodded, and just then I realized... I know him, but he doesn't know me. I know about him. I know how many kids he's got. I know where he lives. I know so many things about this famous coach, this famous coach, soccer coach, but I don't really know him. And that truth hit me when it came to the things of the gospel, when it came to the things of Jesus. So many people in our society know so much about him, but they don't really know know him. And we've got to take seriously what Jesus said, and we've got to really come to that point where we confirm in our lives the claims that Jesus made. Is our knowledge about Jesus just head knowledge, or is it heart knowledge? See, there's 12 inches between our head and heart, but that 12 inches is critical. Young people, Make sure, you know, one of the things I'm, I'm learning ab about Christianity and about Jesus is, uh, Anne and I've got a little grandson. Anne and grandkids are wonderful. Or any grandparents here, hallelujah. Grandparents, are, uh, uh, grandchildren are wonderful. But God has got no grandchildren. He only has children that are his. The next generation are not his because their parents were his. You've got to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior as he comes and reveals himself to you. When Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? Peter could confirm in his heart, you are the Christ. You are the anointed of God. You are the Messiah. You are the savior of the world. And Jesus can never be savior until he is Lord of every part of our life. And through this experience, we recognize that disciples are people who have had a life-changing experience of Jesus. And through this experience, they know that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is Savior, that Jesus is healer, that he is the Prince of Peace, that he is mighty, mighty God, that he is everlasting Father. Disciples confirm the claims of Christ, the claims of Christ which are celebrated at Christmas time, that Jesus Christ is God incarnate, God coming in flesh. In one of the languages in South Africa, the language of Afrikaans, a lovely descriptive Germanic language, it says, in flesh, wording, in flesh becoming. 
We confirm the claims. Jesus is God incarnate, God in human form, God bearing the sins of the world. Disciples take Jesus seriously. Disciples confirm the claims that Jesus made. And disciples, thirdly, model their lives on Christ. And guys, I better warn you, this is where things, this is where the tacky really hits the tar. This is where the rubber really hits the road. This is the real issue that disciples, real Christians, model their lives on Christ. Verse 34, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. One of the churches I was involved in, a lady came to the the pastor, and she said after the service, the lovely service came forward, wanting prayer, and she said, said to the pastor, pastor, please pray for me. And the pastor wisely said, what can I pray for you? And she said, well, pray that I again experience the presence of God in my life. Now, that's a good request to ask your pastor. And the pastor looked at her and said, I'll do that, but where did you lose it? And she said, no, 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 just pray for me. And he said, I'll pray for you, but where did you lose the presence of God? And after a while of really not wanting to say, she said, well, pastor, it's like this. My boyfriend asked me to move in with him. And you know, pastor, purely economic reasons, makes a lot of sense. My boyfriend asked me to move in, in with him, and, and, and I did, I'm not moving out. You see, when we come to this issue of facing and taking Jesus seriously and facing the issue that he raises, I, I praise God that he has helped me in my ministry to minister and to really love. And I, I can use this word, and not just as an evangelist, truly, to really help hundreds of couples. And I've got specifics to to back up the claim of hundreds and hundreds of couples that were living together and decided after God stirred in their hearts to get married and do it God's way. You see, the sin of living together is not the fact that a couple are having a sexual relationship. The sin of living together is simply that a couple is saying, God, you've got a plan, but we're going to do it our way. And when we choose not to model our lives on the word of God and do it our way and not God's way, then we start finding that we no longer have the presence of God in our lives. Jesus will not live in a life that is living in rebellion to his standards and his words. Friends, only God can give his presence in our lives. And when we are willing to confess our sin, when we, are ask, when we ask him to forgive us, when we strive to take his word and live by his word, when we live in submission to his standards, then we again start experiencing the presence of God. When we are con- 
willing to conform to the pattern of Christ in our lives, then we make headway and we become disciples. And I'll say a bit about that in a moment's time. We become a real follower of Christ. We deny ourselves, we follow him, we take up our cross. And, and I want to say this morning that taking up your cross is not the difficult things that you may find in life. Because the reality of life is that there are going to be curved balls that come our way. There are going to be hassles. There are going to be troubles. There are going to be bills to pay. There are going to be broken relationships that we face on the way. Taking up our cross means that I choose to believe God and I choose to do things His way. One of the Christian authors that I really like is a, is a guy called Stuart Briscoe, and he, he recalls a, a, an account of going to speak at a meeting, and he goes to the meeting, he gets there early, tables are set up much like this, and he gets there early, and he's kind of just sitting at a table, and he's on his own, and he's looking around at everything, and he sees people start filtering into the, into the hall, and he looks there, and he sees they're coming in from all walks of life, and in a table near him, there's a young lady sitting, and so he, he wants to just be friendly, and he, he said, hi, I'm Stuart. And she kind of tells him her name. And so to make conversation, he says to her, oh, that's nice. And he's chatting. He says, uh, what do you do? Uh, what do I do? Yeah, what kind of work do you do? You know, he's just, and she's kind of looking at him, and he's wondering now, wow, funny reaction. And then she smiles with a mischievous smile. And she looks him straight in the eye. She didn't know who he was. She didn't know that he was going to be the speaker there that night. She looks him in the eye and she says, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ, very cleverly disguised as a nurse. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ, very cleverly disguised as a factory worker? as someone who assembles engines, as someone who works in an office, as someone who teaches? Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ who happens to be a pastor? Am I a disciple of Jesus Christ who happens to head up a mission organization? But in my going, Jesus said, in your going, make disciples. You see, it's not about the destination. It's about on the way, it's present continuous tense. And church, this morning, the thing I want to say to you with all my heart is that if you are going to say, I am a Christian, you really mean I am a disciple of Christ. And that word disciple, we get from a Greek word, mathetes, from which we get our word mathematics. It means discipline. It means I make a clear decision that I will submit to these rules and to God's word and to his will for my life, and as I go about, whether I am stuck in a factory for 10 hours a day, I choose to be a disciple of Jesus Christ there. I will seek every opportunity I can. Oh God, help me, forgive me when I fail, when I blow it. But Lord, I want to make a difference because I dare to call myself 
by the name of Christ. I am a Christian, and in my going, I need to impact lives for Jesus Christ. And so as I bring this all to a close this morning, I want to challenge you, Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've heard over these last days from some precious brothers and sisters this morning, a lady called Diane, who's working in West Anniston. I think a lot of you may know her. Working among homeless people. Whether it is you, maybe you say, well, Steve, I can't go on a prayer walk there. Um, you know, my leg hurts. I need to tell you, I only got one leg, and I praise God that that one doesn't hurt, and so I'm able to. But if you can't walk, if you can't walk, then drive. Or as she said this morning, put up a chair on a corner and sit there, but commit to go. If your budget can't get to South Africa, go to Kentucky. Go to Utah. But go. And in that process of going, make disciples. Because Jesus has given it all for us. My brothers and sisters, will you make a decision in your heart today again? Lord Jesus, I choose to believe God. I want to be a disciple of Christ. Because that is what you call me to be. Let us pray together. Spirit of the living God, as we bow before you, there can never be a, a real decision